Welcome to Tigerpaw Radio, the podcast that tackles all the challenges and opportunities of channel convergence. If you provide managed IT, managed print, VoIP, security, or other technology-driven services for your customers, this podcast is for you. Tigerpaw Radio, exploring channel convergence one stripe at a time. And now, here are our hosts, James Foxall and Wes McDonald. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. I am your host with the most, Wes McDonald, and I would introduce our other host, uh, James Foxall, but today he's actually a guest. Uh, I've also got John McInnes on the line. And as I always like to do when I start these interviews is to tell you one interesting thing about myself, and our guests are going to do the same. Uh, and unfortunately, today I'm going to break my own rule because I've got two interesting things about myself because of our guests. Uh, the first interesting thing is that both of our guests today on the call uh, have been up to my place for an annual fishing trip and will be coming up again uh, next year. So I live on Lake Erie. Uh, we fish for uh, basically bass and uh, whatever else we can catch and just have a good time hanging out. And uh, both have been up to my place. Now, the second interesting fact is that I've also worked for both of these gentlemen. Uh, the first one, John McInnes, um, I worked for and... Uh, through a partnership actually with Tiger Paws, how I got introduced to James Foxall and uh, down the road started working for him. So I always like to let my guests introduce themselves. So James, as you're a guest today and usually a host, I'm going to let you start. Wow, the guest seat. I love it. Uh, one interesting fact, and it's getting harder to come up with ones that people maybe don't know. You mentioned fishing though. Um, I've gotten a chance to do some pretty cool fishing trips, and I'd say that but one of the neatest ones um, was a little over a year, about a year and a half ago. We went about 100 miles off the coast of San Diego, and we got very fortunate to hit bluefin tuna. And we were catching, you know, bluefin tuna in the 50 to the 220 pound range, and we were catching them in the inky black of the night with a oh. hammerhead swimming around the boat as we were pulling them in. Um, so that was that was reminded of that when I had sushi the other day. So. I uh, don't get to fish as often as I'd like, but definitely have some fun fish stories. So what I love about that story is how in the back of your mind, you're going to invite me for one of those trips in the coming years. <laughs> yes. I actually, actually, I'm trying to figure out how to set one up. You bet. Oh, man. And uh, uh, John McInnes, so uh, it's time for you to introduce yourself. I'm John McInnes, and uh, I used to be very involved in the industry as the CEO of Print Audit. Uh, now I'm off doing other things, and I guess I'm going to add a fish story too. So uh, quite a few years ago, myself, John Hewitt from Print Audit, and uh, Paul Hemmert from Print Audit, we were um, fishing off the coast of Florida, and I hooked a, a hammerhead. And it was about a seven and a half foot hammerhead, and it took easily two hours to bring into the boat. One of the toughest thing I've ever done. And of course, John and Paul didn't help out at all because they uh, wanted to grin and laugh at me the entire time. <laughs> Uh, we, brought, we brought it in. I was thinking that we might be able to let it go, but the boat captain said there's no way. Uh, so we ended up getting it stuffed and, and sent up to Calgary for an enormous amount of money. And for all the years after that, the shark would uh, sat above my desk and the top salesperson at the of the month at Print Audit, we had these huge hooks that we had made, and the hook would go in the mouth of the shark, and it, the top salesperson would be known as the sales shark of the month with their personal uh, hook. So that was the one thing that a lot of people don't know about how we drove sales at Print Audit. 
Yeah, and I can I can vouch for that. Okay, I've got. The oh, really? In my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've got. The <laughs> it was uh, it was one of the first things that I took, and I took it under my arm, which was weird. It's a lot lighter than when we caught it. And thank you, and thank you also. What? Thank you also for vouching for me, West. Oh, that's awesome. No, that huge story wasn't a big lie. Well, that's great. I can't wait <laughs> to see that that shark again when I come visit. Yeah. For some reason, I have Steve Martin and the jerk. All I need is his chair. <laughs> That's right. All I need is my shark. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the dog's name? Anybody remember? Nope. <laughs> oh, not yeah, a we clue. Gotta, we got to keep it clean. Oh. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but everyone, use your imaginations. Use your imaginations. As we move through this, as we're going to be talking about uh, recurring revenue and transitioning your business to that, that model, if you haven't already done so, what is the allure for our listeners that maybe haven't done that yet or think it's going to be too hard or they think that, you know, customers only want break fix or traditional one-time revenues? Oh, it is, it's such a big question, you know, what with the fear. And it's, it's interesting for me because recurring revenue, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing it happen in all sorts of industries. And I'm going to imagine John's probably seeing the same. And um, John, John and I are both a member of Entrepreneurs Organization. And so we get a chance to interact with an awful lot of business owners across all sorts of business types. And um, whenever I talk about the recurring revenue you know, model, a lot of these guys are just, they're just tell me more about this, right? Because it's new to them. Uh, but then in other circles I run in, I'm seeing it like even in commercial AV, um, you know, where there's now smart light bulbs that can report when they burn out. So you, you literally can go and take care of the light bulb and the path lighting for a, a symphony house or, or, you know, an actor, for example, and they don't even know their light bulb was burned out, right? And so, you know, even pool maintenance, rather than charging every time you come out to clean a pool, putting somebody on a monthly payment. So there's a lot of ways to look at it. But where I see people get hung up, and, and quite honestly, where I was hung up as well, is um, especially, I think it's easier if you're a brand new business and you hang out your shingle and you start that way. But if you're an established business with a customer base, that figuring out how am I going to transition my customer base? How am I going to convince these people to start paying me monthly? Um, and I know that's a, a huge hang up. And I would say those paths have been blazed and there's information on it, but it's not easy. But I think that's one of the first stumbling blocks, at least that I've seen, where people kind of put up their shields and go, I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah, and, and there's two things I'll point to there. One is that you've successfully done that yourself. Tiger Paw has been in business for over 30 years, and I'm guessing uh, that it wasn't always a recurring revenue model, right? Well, no. So 36 years in business, and we actually embarked on moving to a subscription revenue model about three years ago. Uh, and we actually made the successful kind of transition to having almost every single client um, through and done here just last summer. And it was hard. It was a huge cash burn. You know, I was honestly afraid of running out of cash for a while. Um, it required repackaging and rebranding our product. I mean, we couldn't, what we couldn't just do is say, hey, you've been paying this much. Let's give you the same thing, but now I want you to rent it from me. So we had to, you know, we went from a, an a la carte style offering to an all-you-can-eat offering. We did a lot of math to figure out what is a fair kind of trade-in price to give people for perpetual license to move into subscription. What do we call the product? What is the pitch? Why, what is the value to move? It can't be just convenience for me and getting paid monthly. So it, it took an awful lot of effort, and that only has really come in the last couple of years of our 36 years' existence. Believe me, if I could have a time machine, I'd go back and do it sooner. Well, certainly. And, you know, the other thing that you mentioned uh, was when you start looking at different things that are being uh, built in a recurring revenue model. And uh, you'll remember we did a uh, interview with uh, Jay McBain over at Forrester Research. One of the facts that sticks in my brain that I just can't get out of it, he said, you know, just wait until you see uh, forklifts and other things 
where they're going to start billing those as business outcomes. And it's because of all the sensors and everything else that are being put into them, right? That they can measure uh, the tonnage and uh, the time that these machines are moving and the things that they're doing. Uh, because of, you know, this sensor world that we live in now, we're mm-hmm. going to start seeing that more in the hardware world as well as the software world. And John, I want to talk to you a little bit about it because when we first started working together, uh, I came into the business, you were already 100%, you know, recurring revenue. And I remember hearing the stories about how, you know, tough it was. And, but obviously you just sold your company a little while ago. And I want to, I want you to talk to people about maybe that benefit, uh, both transitioning to recurring revenue and what it means when it comes time to sell. Yeah, happy to do that. So I I think that, um, some sort of subscription where they get a ton of benefit uh, and the benefit continues to grow uh, from the subscription. So you're get, you continue to add services and um, maybe features of its software, but there is a benefit there and they're, and they, they continue to pay out. And as James said, they don't really own it. And so once they stop paying it, it turns off. So that's a, that's a real key of this. So they're not going to come out with anything if they're not paying you anymore which sounds a little bit cutthroat, but it, it, it really does work, especially in uh, for CapEx budgets and budgeting. Um, it's, it, it's not a thing that has to be written down over a bunch of years. It, it's an immediate cost to the business. So there's some tax advantage as well for businesses. The benefit, I think, as a recurring revenue business is more, it's a story for us. So at Print Audit for years, we would sell software under the traditional model per seat, and uh, they would own the seat and then they'd pay some sort of maintenance after. Now, a lot of people see maintenance as recurring revenue. I guess it is, but it's not exactly the same because if you stop paying maintenance, that doesn't mean that you stop owning the software. In the sales model, what we would see is every month, because we track this by, we would track our sales by month. We had this big digital signage board that was in the office that uh, would say what our sales were for the month. And then every month it went back to zero. And I hated that. That drove me nuts. It was, it felt like every single month we had to go back and start again. And I found it somewhat deflating. With recurring revenue, for us, a real target was that board never went back to zero. In fact, the biggest target for us was that that board, what we saw on it at the beginning, the very first minute of the first day of the month was the same as our expenses. And that's when we knew we were kind of an infinite company, that our expenses were the same as our recurring revenue. And so there wasn't really much that could interrupt us. You actually branded uh, your products infinite. Yeah. And the second... With help from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Being small, the head of marketing. A small part. But okay. uh, the other part um, of that, which I really like to get listeners to pay attention to is, that, I mean, you had a bunch of different you know, software pieces that went with the program, but the user management piece was an actual on-prem offering, right? And James, I know that uh, obviously with us, it's a it's an on-prem offering now too, right? So a lot of people can- Currently, yep. Yeah, and, but a lot of people can't get their head past the idea of doing re- recurring revenue unless it's a cloud-based service. And I think both of you have proven that that's not necessarily a reality, right? There's no doubt. I mean, as you look at it, the hardware as a service, uh, the various, like James said, the having the pool- people come under a subscription. Uh, it Subscription does not have to be cloud-based. Um, it's just, I guess, for some people, the way they think of it is it's easier to turn it off if it's cloud-based, right? If the, the, the straight-out reason to go cloud is that when your customer stops paying you, you can turn it off. But most software products that have been around 
that are on-prem, they have the ability through licensing to uh, have that same feature and functionality. It's just that uh, licensing. Right. Work. And James, you had some thoughts there? When you talked about running your company like it's always for sale, like we're not for sale today, but we know, we know the levers and we know the valuation. And software is a really unique beast, right? Because in the software world, um, you get paid on a multiple of your recurring revenue, um, not on a multiple of your EBITDA. But I'd actually say that you get paid on a multiple of your subscription revenue. So like John had said, you know, we used to have this great maintenance revenue stream. And when we had our company valued, what we realized is, said, well, that's, that's great recurring revenue stream. You run like 98% retention, very awesome, well done. But that's a maintenance stream. That's a 1x. You know, versus recurring revenue on a software subscription, you can be talking to a three to five multiple and in some cases higher if you don't have a lot of growth. So like from our perspective, uh, if I break this down, for example, if, if we did $8,000 a month in new business, 8,000 a month, uh, at the end of month 12, that eight, which is, you know, second month we're getting 16, you know, the next month we're getting the, the 24. You know, as you look at that, by the end of the 12th month, we're at $96,000 a month. We start the next year, we're at almost $100,000 a month. Well, $96,000 a month is roughly a million in a year, right? Right. So the first year of adding 8,000 a month, a new revenue for one year, that next year is a million dollars in value to us. That's a million in actually in cash flow. That's probably a three to 5 million in company valuation. Yeah. And I think our listeners should really, you know, pay attention to that math, right? Because, you know, not all companies are valued equally depending on the model that you have in place. So another interesting fact that I got out of uh, the interview that we did with uh, Jay McBain, you know, global CEOs, right? So they did a big study where they got, you know, hundreds of CEOs and the response back from 76% of them was that the current business models that we have today will not be recognizable in five years. The, re the recurring revenue stream, one of the things that people don't realize is what, what the stability it gives you. You know, being around for 36 years, we were around for September 11th and the economy ground to a halt. You know, I mean, that was a, it was a horrible period in our history for so many reasons. And you can't predict those things, you know, no. and when people say, I'm not going to pick up that maintenance contract this year, it's one thing if one person does it, if half your base does it, it can be a potential extinction event for your business. So the recurring revenue stream, you know, gives you, um, so again, like John said, if you focus on taking care of your clients and keeping them, um, you know, it gives you that consistent revenue stream over time. Now, now, the other thing about that is that we live in a world where it's not just a question of that it's better for us, but in the eyes of the consumer that it's better for them, right? So we see subscription offerings for everything. If it's Harry's Razors or uh, even on Amazon, if I go to the marketplace, I have subscriptions for certain things that I go through on a regular basis, right? So I think that the buying mentality is also shifting towards a preference for subscription, that this, this idea of ownership um, is very different today than it was even five years ago, right? I, I think that it's a answer is a yes. It's it's the way things are going. It's the way that uh, people are are taking most of their services. It's convenient uh, for a customer and um, for a business. As I said, one of the big points is that um, it's how you can write it off on your taxes. Instead of depreciating it over time, you get the immediate write-off, and, and usually it's a smaller amount. Maybe over time it isn't, but you know that you don't have to buy a new version. You know that it's going to come with all the stuff that you want moving forward and that the improvements will keep going, and you just don't have to make those buying decisions. But I've recently subscribed to a subscription service for uh, Fishing Tackle, and so this box shows up every <laughs> month. It's the most amazing thing ever, and I'll continue to pay for it forever because 
I get, you know, this new tackle that maybe I didn't know about before. It comes with a card that tells me, and this is where the additional value comes in, right? So it actually has a card which links to videos and stuff to help me learn how to use this new stuff. It's giving me tips and tricks and additional value that I may not get going to Bass Pro and pulling it off the wall, right? And I have fallen for that every pun intended, hook, line, and sinker, right? I think that this idea of subscription, if there's enough value, then customers are willing to pay for it, right? Well, I think the value, and I, and I is the point what you just said, and I struggle with this one because I, you know, I moved to a subscription model, and no, not all of my customers wanted to do that, right? You know, there's some things that subscription makes perfect sense for, other things that don't. And so I'm, I have a music studio, I'm into recording music, and they have what they call plugins. So like an equalizer, most people have used one in a car, more bass, you know, more treble. Um, you know, a lot of the, those manufacturers of those plugins are trying to move to subscription. Well, for me, I use a plugin occasionally and I might save a song that I was working on and it might be two years later that I'm going to pull that song up and do something else with it. I don't want to be tied into years of subscribing for something I'm going to use occasionally. I want to own that. But like the main music software itself that I use all the time, that might make more sense from a subscription perspective. Absolutely. And then I see you talk about, you talk about disruptive. I saw some of the freaking coolest technology yesterday. I do not know how these guys are going to make money doing it, but you know, we talk about like an, an equalizer or a compressor, outboard analog gear, physical devices that process audio. Some of these are expensive. They're, they're three to five grand a piece. And you know, most of us never get a chance to even touch one. This company, they've put, what they've done is they built robotic adaptations. So they have a rack of this equipment, like $12,000 worth of gear, and they've got little robot um, knobs, things that turn the knobs and push the buttons. And they've built software equivalent where you have on your screen, you have the visual interface of that device. And so you're literally sending your audio across the internet they're turning it into an audio stream from a digital, running it through this $12,000 rig that you're controlling in real time through robotics and sending it back to you. And they're doing wow. it like $6 per hour per device. So I literally could spend 50 bucks for an hour to use $12,000 worth of audio gear somewhere in Colorado. I mean, who, you know, when you talk about things being disruptive, you're, I agree with you, Wes. We, we, in five years, it's hard to even imagine where it's going. But I will tell you what, they're having a recurring revenue stream as you're supporting infrastructure, your, your, your backbone to build on, will, I, I think, create a much better platform to adapt to those changes as they come. Yes, I completely agree. And you're experiencing that value, right? And John, you may not remember this, but you actually introduced me to some value, even in the Amazon world, which, you know, to some people is sacrilege in the channel, because that's really a marketplace, you know, offering, right? But you were a prime member, you know, forever. And I can remember having a conversation with you and I was talking about something I bought on Amazon and you said, dude, do you have prime? And I was like, no, I, I don't know. Prime. What do I need it for? And you're like, are you kidding me? Here's the benefit you get from shipping. Here's the, you get to get this free video channel. If you want to do music, you get all this and everything else. And that stuck with me because I was like, my God, I didn't even realize that all those things were part of it. And those additions, those values that were added on top of the layer. Well, I've been a prime member ever since, right? on the Amazon side for that, for the business. Amazon, the typical Prime subscriber from before they were Prime to when they become Prime, they spend somewhere between 50 and 100 times more on a yearly basis. And that's why people want to, they want them as Prime. And what it is, that $70 or whatever you pay a year, people have, and it's a, it's a perfect mindset. People say, I'm going to get my money's worth, yes. so I'm going to buy everything from here. Uh, yeah. and so mm -hmm. it's a nice hook as well. So that's what Amazon gets out of it. And then they add all these other things. And I really, you know, we haven't 
you haven't talked that much about it, Wes, but I do think that the hook is really, really important yeah. as a piece of, you know, what services, what are you offering that these get that these people can't do without that's really, really hard for you not to be part of a, a budget cut decision that you're but the last piece of all. Isn't that hook the value that we've been talking about? Like when you talk Absolutely. About, yeah. yeah. When you talk about subscription, it's that hook. Like in other words, I'll never give up that subscription. I would never I would never do that, right? Like it's just it's too valuable for me to leave. Yeah, but it's it's gotta be well, painful to leave too. So it can't be yeah. just as James said with the uh, with those plugins. I mean, if he uses them or if he doesn't, it's okay, or he signs up or turns it off. The off and on because of a little bit of use, but uh, the value really what is so think about Amazon Prime, you're not just thinking about that $70 a year. No. You're thinking, I'm not going to get my movies anymore, and they put out great stuff. I'm not going to get my music, uh, the discounts on these subscriptions. So there's just a lot of pieces past just the shipping piece. And, and so, you know, to use Print Audit as an example, when we had the Premier program, you weren't just getting the device management, which most people were interested in. We threw in all of our user management that the dealers could go out and install this software at their customers and win deals with their customers so that they, uh, uh, without having to pay extra. And if they went to all of our competitors, they paid significantly extra for that. So that was what we threw in. But the hook was that if they decided that, we were too much for their budget at the end of the year or whatever it was, or if they were selling or what, what, whatever the piece was that they couldn't pay us, then that meant they had to go to all those customers and turn off that software that they had given <laughs> them to get the deal. And yeah. so, I mean, it was a perfect hook. That's it, a hook. It's really key though, is that what you've actually done is you've linked the hook with the value, right? So absolutely. When John talked about, you know, how your finances are, you know, a CapEx, right, versus an OpEx, um, when we first moved to subscription, um, I had a lot of customers that wanted to pay up front. And I, and I, I do apologize to those that wanted to and we weren't supportive of that. But um, as a business owner, I mean, the reality is, you know, let's say it's a thousand bucks a month, right? If you're used to paying a thousand dollars a month and it just auto renews, maybe there's a small, you know, 5% premium or something, but your payments stay consistent. There's not quite the decision point involved as, oh, we just got that invoice uh, for $12,000. <laughs> you know, are we getting our, are we getting our value out of it? Are there other solutions that we should be looking at? So, you know, by, by putting people on a subscription payment method that they're used to paying and it's leveled out. And then as John said, you focus on adding more value to that. We're always trying to add more features and functionality. We're adding more value. Um, we're doing a good job to retain, but you don't have that inflection point where you have that big bill that's due and you, and all of a sudden there's some thought that goes into it. We're the same way, James. We know that we knew that the, that the, the decision point, if it was a smaller point bite and it was coming out of their account or their visa every month, we rarely, you know, you just didn't have those $12,000 discussions. You had that, it was the thousand dollars a month that they just got used to. I don't want to scare people away, but I just want you to both take a couple of minutes to talk about what was harder than you expected uh, when you were transitioning to the model. And uh, John, maybe we'll start with you on that one. I, th I think we've gone through a lot of it already, Wes. But uh, so the, the main one or two points is uh, it's getting off of that uh, addiction to the big hits. 
Um, and so you're taking, you're taking what essentially, I think James was saying 30,000, 40,000 a month or 40,000 upfront sale. Maybe it's bigger than that. And you're breaking it down to whatever you think a, a fair monthly subscription is. So that $40,000 a month isn't coming in. It's going to be some very small subset of that. And of course, so let's say you go down to a thousand where well, you're hoping that the customer is going to be with you for more than 40 months in that case. It's really hard to pay your expenses if you're going to cut your revenue uh, significantly uh, for a long-term game. It's short-term pain, but sometimes it's short-term pain. And there is lots and lots of stories in Harvard Business Reviews, um, just about every sort of business magazine has tons of stories of people that didn't do the transition right and they couldn't meet their expenses. And so that's the hardest thing for the numbers to actually work you should have at least a couple of years of cash in the bank but then who has that what small company or mid-sized company has that kind of cash and so either you're either going out for loans or it's a our strategy was we did it slowly so we had we had rico as a big customer of ours and we didn't transition them i remember our that. plan yeah our plan in the future was to transition out of rico but to use them to fuel the ability for us to go out to the dealer network which we hadn't done before and bring these on as new customers so that that worked out okay for us but we still had some pretty tight months there's no doubt yeah, I think you did that though. And that's that's why I raised that question though, was that you're going to need some capital uh, in the bank. You're going to need some cash flow, but also that determination and you survive that. And James, I know you did the same thing because like you said, 36 years in business. And one of our core values is always evolving. And that's why we're here 36 years later, right? We don't always make the right decisions, but we're always evolving. Um, oh, a lot of sleepless nights. You know, the ca- you have to have some cash. You have to have cash. Um, you know, I struggle on this podcast because we've got some clients and, you know, pulling back the, the covers a little bit, right. And, and being vulnerable, but I'm happy to share the story. And if any of our, any of, if any of you tiger paw users want to talk about the transition and what we went through and how it might be of value to you, I'm happy to share stories with you. Um, but I, I, it turns out that we did not have as clean of books as we thought going in. So I never had an accurate financial picture for the first year or two. Um, I had a big line of credit that I never had to touch until towards the end as we, as we hit the bottom and came out. But I'll, I don't know if I'll ever forget getting this email from my bank. You talk about banks. And this guy, basically, our banker wrote me and said, hey, I didn't get the paperwork to you in time to renew your line of credit, so it's going to expire. But um, sign this, and, you know, and, and we'll get together in a couple of weeks, and we'll get you a new line of credit. I'm like, that's, that's how I was going to survive if I got to that point. And this banker was casually like, no big deal. You're not using it anyway, you know. Um, so didn't, he didn't understand where we were and what we were trying to do with it and why I needed it. So all of a sudden, as I'm running out of cash, the bank says, yeah, you're not going to have that line to, to do whatever you need make payroll with. So having enough cash and kind of and need, having more than you think you need, having good books so you know where you're at. And then I, I've said this when we did a panel. Um, I wish I would have given the finances an enema before we got started and cut everything that I could have reasonably cut. I've always been opposed to that. We've never done a layoff in 36 years. You know, you don't like to ask people to not take raises. You want to take good care of your people. But in hindsight, I think I would have rallied the team and said, look, we have a, we have a greater place that we need to get to and we need to get tight. We need to be very honest about what, who we need on the teams, what tools we need, you know, going through what subscriptions are we paying for that we could do without. Um, I ended up tightening up the ship as we went, but in hindsight, I should have tightened all that stuff up before 
I even started. And then another piece I would say is, is we stick into your guns, man. You know, when we were hemorrhaging the cash through the process and we had people saying, I'm not going to rent from you, but I'll buy from you. And having the fortitude to say, I'm not going to take your money. Uh, because I just knew once I opened that gate, I, you know, the genie would never go back in the bottle, right? I mean, sales reps would always be coming to me with those deals. So having the fortitude to say, this is where we're, we're committed to going. This is what we're doing. I recognize that you may not want to, to, uh, to make that move. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to subscribe from us. You want to purchase. We're not your vendor. Um, and having a good story to try to convince them otherwise was important. But at the end of the day, holding to our guns, being committed to the path. Cause I think if we gotten halfway through and gotten scared, and then got ourselves into a hybrid mess, I just think oh. we, everything would be even worse. Yeah, I love that message, though, because I think what all the listeners uh, that are thinking about doing the same thing have to realize is that the power and the benefit of transitioning to a recurring revenue model, that the model really works, right? And we, you know, and we did things like we had account managers, you know, that were, they would work with existing clients and then they also, they got commission on any new purchases, any modules or, or features. Well, because of having to repackage our product as Tiger Paw One, where you get everything, it's all included, there was nothing more to sell an existing client that moved over. So I'm asking these people to convince our clients to give up perpetual license ownership and move to subscription, which is a very big ask. And, you know, a lot of explaining and, and, and taking a lot of, um, a lot of anger at times from people, right? They don't want to move forward. And, and at the same time, working themselves out of a job. So yeah. I was very upfront with them well over a year before that. And I asked, I said, look, I don't know what this means. If we've got a home for you afterwards, we want you to stay, but I don't even know what that looks like. I recognize that. And I paid them well and I treated them well. And, but we were all above board on the table about what that looked like. And they worked their butts off for us for about a year and a half to make that transition. And at the end, we, we didn't, those roles were gone and they wanted to make more money selling. And we gave them reference letters and supported them and, and, and helped them find another place. But it had to be part of the big plan. Yeah. You were actually both very forward thinking at a time when it was not necessarily uh, the standard way of doing business, right? The new customer base is all about subscription. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind yeah. that, and, and coming back to the valuation, we also looked very hard at valuation and today for, at least for software companies, but I think just about any company, the valuation of recurring revenue is much higher than just regular uh, individual sale valuation. It's multiple of EBITDA or maybe not a multiple of EBITDA, maybe it's one times EBITDA of uh, traditional sales and service models. So we're running out of time now. I do want to finish off with one thought, though, and I always like to leave our listeners with this. If you had one piece of advice, what would that be? And uh, James, let's start with you. My one bit of advice would be figure it out. I don't think it's optional. Stop thinking it's optional. Stop putting it off. Send people like me, me an email and say, I heard your podcast. Hey, can I ask you some questions? This, this path has been paved. It's been paved in a lot of industries. There's a lot of knowledge out there. Um, I, I personally don't think, especially since we're talking primarily a tech audience, it just should not be optional. So you got to figure it out. And I guess related to that and related to what you say, Wes, know how your business is valued. Understand, talk to somebody who's bought or sold a business like yours, find out what they're looking at because they're looking at those metrics for a reason. And when you know what those are and you start running your business for those metrics, as you said, you tend to just run a better business. So um, know how you're valued and figure out how to get there. And John, on to you. I can't imagine somebody starting a company today, especially a technology-based company that isn't subscription revenue. Uh, and as you said before, it is much easier to start that way than to, uh, to convert an existing 
uh, old sales model company. And so um, I, th I think it's, it's perseverance, figure out your numbers and think that it's going to take twice as much time as you originally expected. So uh, it twice or more. And I think that's the same with just about any big decision, big business decision you make. Uh, you need to expect longer and harder. And so um, plan accordingly. But you know what I love about that last point too, though, John, is that you're saying that new businesses, right, which are always the disruptors, are not going to be working on the old paradigm, right? So that for those of us that have been in business for a long time and that are looking to survive and grow into the future, that we have to adapt because if we don't, uh, those new incumbents are going to push us to the side, right? Absolutely. I mean, people that have nothing to lose, uh, it's easier for them to get started and it is going to happen. I just love it. I can't thank you uh, both enough for uh, this interview today. This one is uh, near and dear to my heart. And uh, for all of our listeners, I just want to thank you for listening to another episode of Tiger Paw Radio. And so we come to the end of another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. If you'd like to listen to more, please be sure to visit www.tigerpaw.com podcasts. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast platforms to be sure you never miss another episode. And until next time, Keep learning, keep growing, and keep that inner tiger strong.